1450 AM WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. It is In Touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier here, and glad you could join us as well. Jane, how are you today? I am just fine this wonderful day. How are you? I am doing terrific. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I, I understand we were talking uh, briefly before we got on the air today about your terrific uh, opera company, a piccola opera. Yeah. And uh, I understand from a very reliable source, you, <laughs> uh, that uh, that there are changes on the way. Yes, yes. What's happening? Well, Little Piccola Opera, which is kind of funny because the word in Italian, piccola, is little. Um, so this company that we've had uh, as a nonprofit, 501c3, since... Um, well, Piccola Opera has been since, I think, two, 2010, 2010, mm-hmm. um, has always had a very specific mission, of course, generally speaking, of educating the public with regard to art, of, of the art of opera. Uh, we did that by having a three-tiered program, and one tier was always community. One tier is the emerging opera singer, and I'll speak a little bit about that. Okay. And then one tier is youth. Okay, and that's always been the model that we've had. Now, uh, you know, before I, before we started, uh, before I started talking to you about this, um, you know, I was today thinking about all that we've done um, for opera here in New Hampshire. And, you know, let's face it, um, opera's not going to put the food on anyone's table, is it, right? It's a little bitty micro thing that I personally felt really important, was important to keep, uh, New Hampshire sort of in the loop with classical music whenever we could and in any way we could. And um, after I finished my career, I didn't finish my career, but when I stopped traveling, how's that? Uh, 1991 plopped here in New Hampshire and started having kids and family and all that, all that goes with that. Uh, incorporated something called Opera Fest of New Hampshire. So Opera Fest was busily doing its work for 10 years um, and, and then sort of mutated into different forms till we ended up with the five, same 501c3 status, right, mm-hmm. of Piccola. So through all of this time, I've seen an awful lot of uh, the guts of producing classical music here in New Hampshire. And let me tell you, it is not for the faint of heart. Um, most of our listeners know that the, even the symphony has a hard time um, manifesting, you know, its business sure. here in New Hampshire. Yeah. And selling something like opera, an intangible like opera, is challenging anywhere, but here in New Hampshire, even more so. Where, where the fine arts here are more on, uh, you know, folk art, uh, folk music, that kind of thing. So, you know, going through all of this baggage, so to speak, uh, trying to figure out where do I want to go in the next act? Right, because I'm in my third act here. You know, I'm 62, and um, you're still young. All right, I'm yeah, still yeah. young. I, <laughs> Younger I, than some people I know, anyway. <laughs> I know it's yeah, all an yeah. age thing, right? It's all a number <laughs> thing, and I, I'm I'm feeling pretty good, so that's all great. But I have always been one that was cognizant of trying to have a plan. You know, where do you want to go, even if it's way out there, long time range, long range. All right. Um, and I started asking, what do I want to do? And then I started to realize that. There was a turn in this somewhere that I wasn't really so much for working with the same population of singer. 
uh, as I was in the past. Let's say I wasn't enjoying it as much. Okay. How's that? Yeah. Now, I, I had talked to you before. The emerging opera singer population uh, is kind of funny. And um, the emerging opera singer animal is a very specific animal. Youngest, usually, you know, 20s, 30 in there. And uh, in a, an extraordinarily competitive a competitive business that is continually shrinking. Now, why is that important? Because where, where when I was younger, we had many more opportunities. Now that pool is so much smaller. So every little role, every little move counts now in a way that it didn't, didn't before and makes that pool of singers even more, uh, you know, competitive. So you're saying now, I'm, and, and I am virtually uh, ignorant in this in this area of, of opera, uh, but are you saying that there are fewer and fewer operas performed in this country? Totally. Okay. And COVID has only right. shut the door right. on what was already a shrinking art form. So, so it started before COVID. Oh, it did. Yeah. It okay. started. We started to see a slow decline in most companies, I think, um, in this country. Mm-hmm. We had a shift in the 80s where opera started to move from the people that understood the opera mm-hmm. to entrepreneurs running these companies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I remember just, to, you know, from a personal note here, uh, I remember when I was growing up in the Boston area that you would often see uh, operas performed mm-hmm. in Boston, but yeah. I don't think you see that much Not anymore. Not much. You have, yeah. you have a couple of companies that are, you know, CD companies, and you have Boston Lyric Opera Company, which is a B company, which which even they have considerably, mm-hmm. um, you know, sh- gotten smaller yeah. over the years. Yeah. Here in New Hampshire, we used to have um, Opera League of New Hampshire for many years, and they were committed to, it's now Opera New Hampshire, mm-hmm. they were committed to three productions three times a year, right? Three, three different shows, and now they're down to one, um, and of course, covid like everyone, really put put the clothes on a lot of it. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a shrinking art form, and that backdrop's important because now the singer is even more stressed. Sure. To try to find their niche in here, you know, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to fit in? Which is great, but you know, it takes energy to deal with that. It takes a different kind of person to juggle all of those singers, and and mind you. If I couldn't probably even count all of the singers since 1991 to 2021, where we still produced opera, where people came in, learned a role, and sang, right? Uh, so many hundreds of singers. I think I've pretty much seen it all w- with regard to the singing animal. Um, and personally speaking, I would much rather now work with one population. Mm-hmm. Not three, right. necessarily, and that being children, kids. Yeah. So explain, if you will, for those of us who aren't as informed as you are, obviously, with the opera world, what is the definition of an emerging opera singer? So we have, uh, in this country especially, thousands and thousands of young singers that are at music schools or conservatories, colleges in this country, that get out at 22 years of age, mm-hmm. and from about 22, you know, and I'm I, these numbers aren't fast all the way, but, you know, like 22 to 26 have that four-year gap 
before they are really ready to do an apprentice program or a young artist program or a fully staged opera program, right? Opera company. And those four years can really kill a singer because they need to keep growing. They're 22 years old. They got to keep moving, right? Um, and that was the population we served. Those singers that needed to get something on their resume so they could keep going, uh, keep working with languages, mm-hmm. keep learning how to sing when you're, when that adrenaline is running, is rushing, right? Because the great opera singer is a controlled opera singer. You don't get up and sing like that without incredible training, stamina, and understanding how to, how to let all of that, you know, nerve and adrenaline rush not mar what you want to give the audience. That's usually important. So those were what we did for those four years. We mm. serviced that population, and they would go off and get different gigs, different agents, right, and, right. and be ready to go. And it, it was great work. It, but you know what? It's very, it's difficult work because every singer has their story, right, and, and has what they want to get out of it. And so juggling that takes an awful lot of patience and time. I'm, I'm sure it does. Yeah. And uh, you're the one who was, uh, you know, you, you, the one that was doing all that, uh, you know, <laughs> coddling, if you will. Uh, no, I don't know what the right term would be, but you were there. Managing it. Uh, uh, managing yes. uh, these uh, emerging performers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and probably not always easy to it do. It was never really easy yeah. to do. It was just my personality was such that, um, and don't forget we had all the competitions. You know, we probably have done like 30 years of opera competitions with 40 to 50 singers coming out from all over the world to, per, to compete. So, yeah, there's a lot. Um, my personality was helpful in that uh, I wasn't afraid to be in charge. That's really important. Mm-hmm. You can't lead from behind. You have to be ready to say, okay, guys, here's the game plan. All right, go. Follow it. Right. Yes. Here we go. Yeah. And um, I think that probably mitigated an awful lot. In seeing, you know, people that have done what I've done in the past, I don't know that that being their friend, the singer's friend, was necessarily the most helpful thing. Now, being good to people and truthful and honest and support, of course. But, yeah, I didn't really have too much of that, uh, you know, coddling I had to do because they knew where the line was. Uh But still, you know, doing the very best you can for every single singer that comes in. It's, it's a lot of a energy. difficult task. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. So, uh, with that being said, uh, what different direction is the, is the company going to take? So, we've decided that we're going to head down the road of becoming a full-time youth opera company. Piccola Youth Opera is what we're going to be called. Okay. And, uh, you know, take a few weeks to get everything lined up and in sync. But um, first of all, I started to think, you know, we're seeing the shrinking art form before our eyes, you know, before I pass. Um, I'm I'm ready to see it become a niche art form, a niche art form, sadly, sadly. Um, But one thing that might change that is if, and I'm not saying that Little Piccola Opera can do it, but, you know, you never know what can happen. If we don't get to our youth with, to, with regard to what this, what this is all about, what opera really is, we have no hope of growing the company. How are you going to grow it? 
Is there a misconception out there of what uh, opera really is? Totally. Totally. And it's sad to say that even with all of these technology stuff, it's still prevalent. I mean, I see it in fellow teachers, Mm -hmm. educated folk, right? What it is. So the idea that an opera is, number one, all these fat ladies singing on stage and with horns, and uh, I'm not going to understand anything they're singing, and only rich people, only old people. Yeah. They're all there. Every mm-hmm. We've all heard that, and many people probably think that's true. Um, the, the other side of that is, is why wouldn't they? Because we're not seeing a whole lot of opera presented. What's going to change their mind, right? Um, and, of course, you know, my, my training came from folks at the Metropolitan Opera. I, I was very lucky to have, at the time in the 80s, the best of the best working with me um, and watching Metropolitan Opera Productions four times an, a week. Oh. Every week for like yeah. a year and a half. Great, great background. Those folks taught me um, an awful lot of what it should be. But you know what? Opera's a difficult medium. And unless you see good opera, unless you see a thought-out, well-prepared opera, there's a chance that you will walk away saying, eh, you know, eh, don't know what that was. Not sure I liked it. Right. But if you see opera prepared and ready to go as it's supposed to be done, Mm -hmm. it's a no brainer. You're not going to walk away from that performance with anything but wow. I mean, these opera composers wrote these pieces and they've survived hundreds of years. Oh, time will tell us what's great art and or great you know, great um, artists, great athletes, great whatever it is, time will tell us. And opera will tell us, will continue to tell us, you know, what greatness is. But a great opera has beautiful singing, controlled, beautiful, emotional singing, drama, 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 big time drama, and dance usually, mm-hmm. orchestra, and the set, and the background, you know, technical Thing going on. It is the only art form we have, including musical theater, which is so comprehensive in bringing everything together. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to get to the Met to see a production. I've been there on a tour, but did not see a production there mm. and, uh, and would love to. Uh, you know, I don't know much about opera whatsoever, but I would just like to see how spectacular it is. I, I've heard any number uh, on radio, from, okay. uh, performed uh, from the Metropolitan Opera House, but never have seen one in person. I've seen clips on TV, sure. but, uh, you know, it's not the same as being there, it's obviously. Not. It's not. And, and the truth is, is that even if you see it HD on the big screen. Yeah. And, and there are a, a lot of those showings. Yeah, and and yeah. that's great. I think yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. But there is a uh, a factor of when you're in the house that's almost like you being with the singer in the energy that's, that's put forth from the singer to the audience. That's what a great singer does. Mm-hmm. It's not just sound. They can control the house if they're great by yeah. energy. <laughs> so, so you see it, a decline in the participation uh, in opera. Across, people, across the country. Uh, people aren't going into it or at least wanting to go into it. Uh, as much as they once did. Mm-hmm. Does the same apply to uh, to theater? 
uh, just, you know, musical regular, theater, musical theater. Yeah. No, musical theater has um, sort of carved out its own way. Um, they're always trying to be relevant, right? Theater is always trying to be relevant, which is great. That doesn't work so well with the operas because operas were written in a certain time frame to service that, you know, that time frame. So it's a lot harder to, uh, you know, make an opera today. Mm-hmm. You can do it, but it, I'm not sure it works as great. But musical theater, of course, can live now, yeah. right? Right. Um, and so that they're probably uh, not nearly the same boat as an opera company to a music theater. Mm-mm. The, the music theater is doing okay. And, and what about the writing uh, of operas? I mean, most of the operas we uh, see performed these days are many, many, many years old. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. hundreds in some cases, right? Right. Uh, are there many new operas being written? No, there aren't. And, you know, there are um, grants and there are programs that are trying to get that going. But I'm sure that their numbers aren't what they could be. Frankly, um, there's if, if I'm a young composer and I'm not sure that there's any real money uh, right. floating around out there, how moved am I going to be to to compose that opera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the shrinking doesn't just involve the singer. <laughs> it involves what comes in, right? Comes in the door for that. So, um, yeah, we're not seeing a whole lot written either. Um, for what reason? Who knows? I think it's probably some fi- somewhat financial, some, well, some, I'm sure some composers think that there's just not many people that will support it, yeah. go to it, you know, that kind of thing. Right. I, I guess, you know, I, the, the best comparison to something that's been, you know, mainstream uh, more contemporary is uh, Les Miserables totally. on, on stage, yep. on, on the Broadway stage or, or any stage where it's performed or even in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's about as contemporary uh, an opera-like production sure. as probably anybody has seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good uh, bridge from musical theater to opera, right? And as was Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The good bridge, because there's very little dialogue, almost all entirely sung, right? right? If not all entirely sung. And uh, shows the audience what you can do with that. Right. You don't need to have the libretto book that has the lines, pretty song, dance, boy meets girl and they go home. Or you know what I'm saying? You know, it can be all sung. Could it be, could the factor be that, you know, those are performed in English, and it's available to people in English, then they can, you know, understand it better than they could, uh, you know, an opera that uh, is not sung in English. You mean English. why people in this country might like it? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah, that that's yeah, true. A yeah. little bit easier to understand. Don't forget, when you go overseas, now, when I was doing Phantom, I was offered the Cosette role mm-hmm. in another theater for um, Les Mis, but everything's in German, right? So yeah. no matter what country you go to, you sing it in that language, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure it makes a difference here for bringing people in, the fact that it's in English. But there's English operas. We have English operas, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Not a lot of them, but there are some. Um, yeah. But, I mean, those those two shows that we mentioned, uh, Les Miserables and Phantom of the Opera, are just, you know, overwhelmingly yeah. popular. Totally. With audiences. And how, how much different is it than an opera, except for that fact that it's done in English? Yeah. Well, the, the music is a little bit less complex, okay. right, yeah. it, as opera goes. 
little bit less complex, but even, you know, Phantom uh, would be considered what we call a light opera in this country, mm -hmm. you know, like Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And Les Mis as well. Yeah. You know? So that would be lighter than a, a regular. Yeah. Opera. Harmonically speaking, yeah. most of the most of the time, opera has more opulent, mm. thicker sound. Uh, you know, the the string instrument section, and the and the uh, and, and the woodwind instrument would be more, uh, bigger. I always tell people um, most opera is not done at the Met, right? But you know, the Met is a four thousand plus seat house right. with a football field sized stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, think about that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> football size football stage. Football size stage, yes. yes. And uh, the pit can hold like 125, 150 musicians, I believe, at least, mm. right? Yeah. One voice goes to that stage. One little pair of vocal cords sings over that orchestra and is heard in that house yeah. without amplification. Yeah. There yes. is the difference between an opera singer and a musical theater singer. Mm -hmm. When I was doing Phantom, um, they had to be very careful of the levels with me because everything's mic'd in the show. Everybody's mic'd okay. in Phantom because yeah. any musical theater piece will be mic'd. Yeah. But, um, you know, most people in that show aren't necessarily opera singers. They're Broadway singers. Right. Uh, so you bring in an opera singer and that, that tech guy's playing that level pretty good because we're trained. Yeah. Let it, you know, take in a big sound, yeah. take in a big breath and let out the sound, right? Yeah. We're not going to change that. So that's up to the sound guy. Well, we are talking opera uh, today and some of the changes taking place at the Piccola Opera and uh, Piccola Youth Opera, yes. I should say properly. Yeah. It is In Touch with Kale and Cormier, Ken Kale, Jane Cormier right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back to the show at the AM 1450 WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. It is In Touch with Kale and Cormier, Ken Kale, Jane Cormier. And uh, first segment of the program today, we talked about uh, opera and uh, piccolo youth uh, opera and some of the changes that Jane uh, talked about a little while ago. What is the difference in training? Uh, between a, a Broadway singer and an opera singer. Okay. Wow. Okay, well, today, you know, that line's being very uh, muddied. In the past, it wasn't. It's muddied now because singers can't afford to be just opera singers anymore. You have mm -hmm. to be able to... You have to be versatile. You do. Yeah, yeah. You do, because you won't work otherwise. Right. Um, but, you know, that aside, um, your, your singer, your singing as an opera singer is power-bound. What does that mean? That means that you have to be able to amplify your sound to match wherever you might be. Mm -hmm. Singing loud, bombastic in a big forte, big orchestra, and being able to peel back to a pianissimo, very soft, when needed. When you have a Broadway singer, now they might be very good and can do all of that, mm -hmm. they don't really need to... Uh, that out there quite so emphatically because they will always be amplified. You know, amplified. Yes. Yeah. So if they need to have a quiet, yeah. they can bring the quiet button down mm -hmm. and the singer can do that. So the, the demands on the singer are not the same. Um, stamina, for instance, if I'm going to sing a two and a half hour opera, 
My technique has to be able to support that from beginning to end. That's a much less rigorous support for the Broadway singer. They do not have to have that much going on there mm, yeah, uh, yeah. to produce what they need. So it's just a very different animal in that regard. I'm always amazed when I go to a, a Broadway show, uh, and I've been to a lot more Broadway shows than I have operas for sure. Uh, it, it amazes me, I mean, to you know, a casual observer like myself, that they can do, in, in some cases on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays or Wednesdays and Sundays, whatever the schedule may be for that show, that they can actually do two shows a day. But you could probably never do, one performer could probably never do two operas very in a rare, day. Yeah, very rare. It has happened, but it's yeah. always been kind of like the big story when it's happened through history. Yeah. Um, because you really can't. In the old days, before we had, you know, this craziness of airplanes and stuff, opera was probably at its peak because it forced singers to wait in between gigs. Mm. If you were going to go over a different country to do a role, you had a, a ship that you were forced and forced quiet. That's a big problem, you know, today with singers. Uh, my, my time singing the 70s, 80s and 90s was difficult because there was no uh, technology. So you were forced to be quiet, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you couldn't contact anyone. Now, we might have all this technology, but the big thing for the singer now is they can text. Yeah. So you could still be in touch with, if I'm traveling to Vienna, I don't have to wait for the six-hour zone thing to go away and, 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 and try to catch them on a phone call like I would. I can just text immediately, right? So, so the singer has advantages and disadvantages today with all of that. But, uh, for instance, for Phantom, uh, Car you could not sing Carlotta more than, they wouldn't let you sing Carlotta more than four times a week. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Christine's, there were three, at, there are at least three, sometimes four Christine's in one production of Phantom. Wow. So there's always multiple backups. Uh, that's not true in opera. In opera, you rarely even have enough to study, <laughs> unless you're at a really big house. Yeah. Um, so it's just different. I guess so. So how many times would it, is it like a, you know, like a baseball pitcher that you could only do an opera like once every four or five days? No, I'd say that they probably, the, the singer that's, that's singing a lot, right. That's out there is probably singing three times a week, oh, really? two, yeah. three times a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now it might not be all roles. It might not all be a leading role. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes at their peak, a couple times a week, probably the A house people. CD houses two, three times a week. If I had a gig in Germany, I'd probably be singing three times a week-ish. Mm. You know, one, maybe a really big role, maybe a secondary role, maybe in a chorus for the third one. So I wouldn't be... And, and what about like at the Metropolitan Opera House? They have such a big roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. So, yeah. you know, they're not expecting those singers. You're, you're a guest when you get to the Met. Yeah. You don't like belong to the house. You're mm -hmm. just someone that sings at the house. Right. By the time you get there, so no, there yeah. you don't sing a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they have a lot of people they can draw from. Yes, uh, for their shows. And uh, how is the Met doing? I know you know with with COVID, it's all been been different. But yeah, uh, they've had some pretty horrible things going on there at the Met since COVID. I mean, they they had a big union problem. Um, they they just basically fired everyone, really? sent them home. Now you have mm -hmm. to remember the Metropolitan Opera for the performing artist has the best 
benefits pay of any company anywhere in the world ever, okay? Mm -hmm. If I was a chorister at the Metropolitan Opera before COVID, mm -hmm. I'm probably making close to 200000 okay. A chorister. Yeah. With an A1 health plan, everything. Everything. Okay. Strong union. Yeah. Agma, big time. Yeah. And they just cut everyone loose. Orchestra, they didn't get paid for like two years, year and a half. They're still fighting through all that. Singers cut them off. So they just let everybody go. And, and it was a problem for me because, you know, it's kind of ironic. Little bitty piccola opera, right? We've, we gather yes. our pennies and we found a way to keep going. And here you have a billion dollar house. Yeah. And they could not find a way to do better than they did. I say shame on them. I was very disappointed with what happened there. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize. Yeah. Uh, so, now, for example, uh, the, the orchestra, uh, would they be, uh, you know, a, a regular company yes. there yes. At, at the Met? Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah. so your orchestra isn't like the singers. So you remember okay. now, yeah. if I, any other house, you go into a house, mm -hmm. you're a member of that house for the season, you yeah. have so many roles you're going to play, you're with them. That's not always true with the Met because they, they're so big and they only take the most famous and the best in the, in the world. You know, those people come in to do three performances through the year of, you know, La Boheme, and then they're off to France to do something. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. they don't own the singers the way. The house orchestra, though, at the Met is considered to be the number one orchestra in the world for opera houses. By far, in a way, it's true. And these are lifers. These are folks that never did anything else their whole life. Yeah. Right? right. All of a sudden, you get the letter, you're, you're gone. See ya. Wow. No benefits, nothing. Hmm. Yeah. And was that pretty much all because of COVID or was that they said coming? It was. No, they, no, you know, I don't think it was coming. I think it was COVID. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, they would love to break the union. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I'm, by, I'm ambivalent. I'm not a union gal myself. I think that somehow, uh, in many ways, the unions have been less, in generally speaking, uh, in today's world, they don't play the same, they don't have the same part to play that they did when they first came out onto the scene, I think that we can manage better, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but that would, the way that was handled was poorly done, I think. Poorly done. At a time like COVID, the, all these artists are out of work. Yeah. How are they going to yeah. make, uh, what are they going to go work at McDonald's? I mean, poorly done. And they yeah. had the resources. That's what I say. They had the resources, certainly. Yeah, you, <laughs> one would think. Yeah. Yes, yes, and you you would know certainly better than most of us. Yeah, uh, the resources that they have there. But you know, the same was true for uh, Broadway performers. I know, uh, and uh, I know several of them. Uh, probably a lot more than that. But I know in a couple of cases that I know of personally, uh, both of them went into the real estate business. Yeah, during COVID, yeah. and and still. Still do it from time to Still are actively involved in that as well. We lost a lot of great artisans for the COVID. We did. Yeah. Because uh, let's face it, if you are an artist, you're unless you're in the upper echelon of whatever it is you're producing, you're not making a ton of money. You're doing it because you love it. Right. Yeah. Right. If you can't keep body and soul together, unless you're just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to find another way to make a living. Yeah. And you're probably going to leave your art form. 
And what that's what we're seeing. Oh, yeah, horrible. Uh, horrible. Because you see a lot of very, very talented people uh, just, just leave the profession because just they just can't, no matter how talented they are, make it right. anymore right. under these circumstances. It's exactly correct. Yeah. Talking about uh, opera, a little bit about Broadway today. It's In Touch with Kale and Cormier, Ken Kale, Jane Cormier. Glad you could be with us today here on 1450 AM, WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. Welcome back. It is Kale and Cormier. Great to have you along with us on today's show. AM 1450 WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. And, of course, all the shows on this radio station uh, you can find on nhtalkradio.com. We're streaming 24 hours a day, except Celtics games, on uh, nhtalkradio.com. So, uh, you can enjoy all the great programming anytime you want. You can make up your own radio schedule <laughs> at home. But the problem is, uh, Jane Corman, you, you can't make up your own opera schedule or your own no. Broadway musical schedule. That's always a <laughs> subject to a lot of outside influences yes. that we've had, especially over the last couple of years. You know, it's amazing to think that we've been battling this now just about two years I know. And, and the world, I think, unfortunately, uh, has been changed forever. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get back to uh, what it once was. I mean, as hard as, you know, many of us are trying and that sort of thing, but uh, just some of the things will never Be get back to normal. People yeah. have changed their habits, Yeah. you know, uh, so it's it's tough yeah. to, to get anything back to where it was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the new norm, right? And uh, hopefully we haven't, we're not going to be able to look back. We won't look back and say, wow, what we lost, right? Let's Just move forward. And that's all you can do, and that's what you're doing. We're trying. At the uh, Piccolo Opera. Yes. And uh, Piccolo Youth Opera. So how do you get someone interested in going into opera, uh, especially at a, at a young age where the kids are listening to whatever they are listening to these days? I'm yeah. not exactly sure. Uh, you know, they have all the, uh, you know, the internet platforms that mm -hmm. they can watch things on and listen to things. And so how do you get somebody amped up about opera? First of all, they have to, I think, be at heart and a lover of music and performance. Mm -hmm. They don't even have to be quite talented at it yet. They don't need to have, a, you know, a gorgeous voice, but they do have to want to perform. And from that desire, you can pin an awful lot of what they need to compete or be competitive or even enjoy it yeah. on that level, right? So there are actually a lot of kids that are exposed to classical music, like all state, right? Or sure. All yeah. state chorus and yeah, band, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, those youngsters do know what, what it needs to sound like, right? They do know what some good sound is, good chorus music, right? Um, I'm in, in contact with a lot of different kids um, from Windham to Manchester, you know, and, and other towns. And um, you don't need a ton, but we need to find a pool of singers that are willing to have training. Now, the training for our kids is not like any other training. Mm. And they get the benefit of the lifetime of teaching and singing that I've had 
because I can give it to them right in class. I can show them. I can give them a good explanation of why they want to do something the way we're asking them. Uh, we, we give them things like language comprehension. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to sing in Italian, French, German. They have to be able to sing in Latin. They have to be able to understand what they're singing. So, for instance, one of the things we'll be doing is teaching uh, Italian for young singers. That's one of the courses we're going to do. Because the Italian language for young singers, that's what they cut their teeth on. When you're a young singer, you sing Italian art song. Uh, we do a lot with German, too, because I love German. But So my kids are singing a lot of Italian, a lot of German right now. Uh, they're learning the International Phonetic Alphabet, mm. which teaches yeah. them symbols of how to read languages and other languages. Mm. Um, so they're learning an awful lot of, of course, vocal technique, yeah. um, and what they need to do to perform. All those things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can derive so much and never even hit the stage, right? Yeah. I mean, really, in, in reality. True. It's uh, education, entertainment, enjoyment. Absolutely. The three E's right there. That's it. Yeah. And and it is. I mean, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great discipline. I mean, you get to learn a lot that you normally would not. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you, once these kids get up in the trial of fire, because they perform all the time. Mm -hmm. COVID maybe, they've yeah. probably had six or seven performances wow. these last year and a half. Wow. Um, they, they figure out what that is. And that feeling of being able to get up in front of people and do what you have practiced yeah. goes way beyond your music. Yeah. You can now talk to people in a way that has, you know, gravitas. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to get nervous at that job interview so much. Exactly. Because you know how to handle the nerves. It has an impact on so many aspects yes. of your life. It does. Yeah. No, oh, it, it truly does. Uh, whether it be opera or another form of, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, singing. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily have to be opera, but in this case, that's what we're talking about. And, uh, and, and you would learn so much in, in terms of other languages, I mm -hmm. mean, which can be very important down the road, even if you're... Uh, never uh, an opera singer, past, right. you know, piccolo uh, youth opera. Mm -hmm. um, just a great education and, uh, and and just so many. Now, you know, you said you, you like to sing in German. Is that your favorite yes. foreign language to, to sing in? I think it is. Or does I mean, it depend on the opera? Well, there's an awful lot of art song uh, out there, you know, all the different languages. All the different little countries have their own art songs, and I particularly love... German art song. I like Schubert. I like Wolf. I like Brahms. I love Brahms, Johannes Brahms. So if you're talking art song, definitely German. If you're talking opera, goes Italian, baby. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like singing La Traviata, La Boheme. Um, there's just nothing that has that. I don't know what it is. There's a certain feeling when you sing opera as opposed to German opera. Yeah. When I, I made a lot of money on Magic Flute, right? Die Zauberflute in German, right? Um, so I think I can say that although it's very beautiful, very beautiful, don't get me wrong, there's just something to Italian opera that slips off the tongue. Just really great to sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I, not that I would know from personal experience, but uh, it, it always sounds good to me whenever I hear it. Indeed. Well, what, what's been your favorite opera to perform in over the years? I know that's yeah. maybe like saying, who's your favorite child? But what, what's the favorite uh, 
the favorite opera you've performed in? The favorite opera I've performed was probably, um, well, I'd have to say Lucia di Lammermoor, uh, which is an Italian opera by Donizetti, where the lead role, the heroine, um, goes insane and kills her husband, who's married her. She's married him under total duress and uh, sees this ghost, uh, you know, she goes crazy, right? It's fun. Uh, so I'd say performing. But my favorite opera is Rigoletto, which unfortunately I never got to perform. I did I did perform it in like master class setting at the Met mm -hmm. uh, with Joan Dorneman. And uh, it was a conductor at the Met that, that brought these young singers together backstage. And we learned and performed La Traviata. La Traviata. Okay. Uh, no, excuse me. Uh, Rigoletto. 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 Okay, yeah. We did Traviata too. But yeah. no, Rigoletto, I never got to perform in a real right. opera house performance venue. Mm. So I think that's my favorite opera. Just a great Verdian opera. All right. I have another couple of questions for you. But first of all, we have to take a, a quick break here. Mm -hmm. And then we will come back for the uh, final moments uh, of this program. It's In Touch with Kale and Cormier. Ken Kale, Jane Cormier, right here on WK, WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial in the Capital Region, 101.9 in the Manchester area, and always at nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back, and only a few minutes left on this edition of In Touch with Kale and Cormier on WKXL, 1450 on the AM dial, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond. Now, if you, uh, you know, if someone says to you, you know, what could convince me uh, to want to be an opera singer, would, which opera would you tell them to listen to or watch? I know you're a big fan of Rigoletto, as you mentioned during the last segment. But if somebody, if you wanted, to, if somebody was on the, the to the, sing or to, just to enjoy, well, to to you know, well, to sing, uh, to you sing? know, to convince them that they would like to. Okay. You know, pursue that career, and not necessarily that as a, a career, but but just, you know, for enjoyment and uh, and, you know, maybe not make a career out of it necessarily. Right. But, but go to uh, Piccola Youth Opera yeah. and, you know, go go through, you know, the, the rehearsals, the uh, performances. So if and, you're and talking youth singing, yes, that would take out the Verdi operas because they're just too big. We're going to be doing a lot of Handel. Okay. Um, and, you know, the lighter operas, maybe some Mozart down the road, some Handel. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, there is an opera most kids will love. It's in English. Um, and it's, oh, my gosh, it's Purcell. <laughs> I'm going blank here. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It'll come to me in a second, I bet. Okay. Um, but a light, light opera like Purcell and Handel for the kids. Yeah. If it was someone that was older... To bring them in from the outside, just for the sheer drama and the brevity, it would be Rigoletto. Rigoletto. Uh, because the story, there's not one part of that opera that has downtime. It's from the very beginning to the very end. Once you've read what it's about, mm -hmm. you're not looking away. If it's a good a production, if it's a good production, it's going to sell you. And it's two hours. Um, each act, like 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, easy. Right. It's easy to watch, easy to hear, and a great story. So if someone wanted to look at that, that would probably sell them, um, you know, on the art form. 
Is there much, because uh, I must confess I haven't really searched it, but is there much uh, opera on the Internet, for example, like YouTube? Could I? Yeah. YouTube uh, There's a lot. on opera? Yep. Yeah. You absolutely can. And then a lot of times they'll give you, um, they'll just give you excerpts, which yeah. is fine. You know, if you put in Rigoletto, they maybe go Act 1, Rigoletto, or, you know, Act 3, La Traviata. Um, you know, that. Yeah. That's, you certainly uh, can get a, a good taste of it anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, a nice little taste. And that's a good way to start, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been informative. It's been uh, informative for me, and I'm sure it has been for the audience as well. Uh, Jane Cormier, nice job today on uh, In you. Touch with Kale and Cormier here on WKXL. And don't forget, uh, Piccolo Youth Opera, folks. How can they get more information? Well, you can go to Piccolo Opera. We haven't updated updated our site yet. That's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, but we have to transition. The platform has to transition from Piccolo Opera to Piccolo Youth. But same website. Very good. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you. And that'll do it for In Touch on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com.